Good morning, everyone. This week reminded me of of living uh, up in Michigan uh, a little bit. Uh, I remember uh, the the coldest I remember, and we actually got a snow day for this. Most times up north you don't get snow days because it snows because that's, you know, December through March, and that's a long time to miss for school. But uh, I remember one particular year where the the, uh, the actual temperature, not wind chill, was was negative uh, 30. Uh, and with the wind chill, it was negative 50. And uh, and they didn't make us go to school that day. Uh, but but the next day when it was negative 20, we did have to go to go to school that day. But it made me think of, um, reminded me of the extra chores that you have when uh, when when snow comes, um, and it's actually the opposite. A lot of the things that we do in summer is what up north they do in winter. For instance, in the summer when it's 100 degrees, how many of you start your car so the air conditioning will will be nice and uh, working before you actually have to go someplace? Well, in the winter you start your car 15 minutes before you need to leave uh, to help, particularly if you are a teenager and you're not allowed to park your vehicle in the garage uh, and you have to park it outside, uh, you, you do that to, uh, uh, to get the, the ice off. Uh, and uh, I had a deal with a friend that I took to school. Um, it was in September and I had been taking him to school for a couple of weeks and he tried to give me 10 bucks. And I said, I'm going to school anyway. You know, it's not extra gas just because you're with me. And he said, well, my mom said I need to. I said, tell you what, tell you what. In the winter, when you come over, just come over a little bit early and just get the snow off. He thought he got a deal on that. <laughs> he changed his mind mid-January, but it was too late at that point. But thinking about how cold it was, we, we had something go on this week, and I just want to thank uh, thank the guys in the church, um, deacons in in uh, in title, but also deacon means servant, and we have a lot of people who aren't deacons, but a lot of people who serve. They deacon even if they don't have the title for it. And we had guys come and they they uh, shut off the water uh, so that uh, um, things wouldn't happen bad, uh, and uh, uh, and a good thing too because the uh, office building did have a, a pipe that uh, that has a crack in it that needs to be repaired. And so if those guys hadn't done that, uh, we would have had a swamp, maybe an ice rink. We would have had an ice rink uh, and, uh, and, and a big mess to deal with. So, so thank you for, for those guys who just faithfully come and serve. And I know there are a lot of people in this church without any fanfare, without any notice. They just do what needs to be done uh, because they have the ability to do it. And, uh, and we wouldn't notice it unless it didn't happen. Uh, and so uh, just a big thank you for, for all of those who serve, but particularly thinking this week about, uh, about winterizing uh, our, our buildings uh, for this, this past week. Last week, we, we looked at the, uh, the, a covenant offered, and we didn't even really get to what the covenant said, but just the fact of, of how it was offered and the significance of that. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a, a look <clears throat> excuse me, at, at that covenant, particularly the introduction of the covenant, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Lord offered the nation of Israel to enter a covenant relationship with him. The benefits of being in that relationship were amazing. They would be God's treasured possession. 
They would be a nation of priests with access to, to the God who created the universe just by speaking it into existence. They would be a people set apart to the Lord to serve him in purity. All they had to do was obey his covenant. The people responded in unity when presented with this opportunity. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The problem with their answer is they don't know what the terms are for the covenant yet. They haven't heard. It's kind of like when somebody says, comes up and says, will you do me a favor? What is the correct answer? What's the favor? All right, before I agree to it, what am I getting myself into? They just, they agreed to it without knowing the terms. But to their credit, they agree to place themselves under the authority of God's word. They desire to continue the process of being in a covenant relationship with God, where God is the almighty sovereign, and they are the obedient vassals. God is supreme, and they are subservient. And with that in mind, they agree to continue the process of, of having a covenant relationship with God. Moses, he travels up Mount Sinai quite a bit as you read through this. He makes a lot of trips up the mountain. I remember when, uh, when we had a, a house that was two stories. My memory got a lot better because if I got down and said, oh, I forgot this and had to walk back up the stairs, I got to the point where I'd get to the stairs and I'd go, now, was there anything else I needed before I go down? Moses made a lot of trips uh, back and forth to, to the top of Mount Sinai. So Moses goes up Mount Sinai to meet the Lord to receive the covenant. The Lord sends Moses back down the mountain to warn the Israelites to not come up the mountain where the Lord's glory was residing during the duration of his meeting with Moses. Moses comes back up the mountain with Aaron to receive the official covenant of God. It is at this point that Moses receives the covenant. Now, the first part of the covenant is what we call the Ten Commandments, uh, or the Ten Words is, 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 uh, would be an accurate translation. So this morning, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, which is only the first part of the covenant given by God. If we have enough time, we'll look at the other sections of the law that was given by God that speaks to civil and religious ordinances, and the last section that deals with ceremonial regulations. Civil ordinances deal with the day-to-day -day running of a nation or community. The religious ordinances are about how to properly worship and respond to God, and then the ceremonial ordinances are more specific rules about religious ceremonies, such as Passover or even circumcision. But this morning, we're going to concentrate on the famous ten. I want you to ask yourself, how acceptable to God would you be if your righteousness was based on your ability to observe these ten commandments? I also want to point out that most people would agree these ten commandments are good things. They, they are rules that we agree with and would state that it would be a better world if we would abide by these commandments. In my previous church, we had uh, a few different police officers that attended the church, and they came up to the, the pastor after we, we preached through the series, and they said, if we did what this says, we'd be out of a job. Uh, you want to know why things are so expensive? Because these Ten Commandments aren't followed and obeyed. The Lord introduces himself and gives his authority in giving the commands. Having played sports and having grown up with good parents, I understand living under authority. 
It does not bother me to be under authority. What I do take issue with is people acting like they have authority when they do not. My oft-repeated refrain to my three older brothers growing up was, you are not the boss of me. God gives the reason why the Israelites should abide by the ten words, the ten commandments, that he's about to give them in his introduction. In Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, which is where we'll spend most of our time this morning, is in Exodus 20. and says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. With that introduction, God gives the first commandment. The first commandment, in Exodus 23, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Worship God only. Worship God only. This means to have no other gods in the one God's presence. God alone. And since the one God is not bound by time or space, there is nowhere to go outside of his presence. This command means that nothing should have greater importance to me than God. God deserves and demands all my worship. Well, how you doing so far? Because I done messed up already. I often do not place God first in my life which is a terrible mistake. Every part of my life would be better if I recognized God's preeminence. A good husband considers his wife in second place. A good parent places their children behind God. God is more important than their children. A good employee prioritizes God before his or her job. A hobbyist prioritizes God above their hobby. In our society, what is the thing that we pursue most? We pursue comfort and convenience before we pursue God. In the choices we make, we are commanded to consider God first. And we should. It makes sense to do that because Not only is God deserving of all of our worship and praise, but God is a benevolent father. In the book of Lamentations, which is a tough book, this is, Lamentations is a tough book. What does Lamentations mean? It's not about lambs, right? It's about great sorrow. There is a part in Lamentations where it talks about how the young mothers, in order to stay alive, eat their own children. Pretty bad, right? And yet this is what it says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We have a benevolent father. So he should be first in everything. Worship God only. The second commandment is worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, admittedly, for the first couple ones, I'm putting an emphasis that I think kind of helps 
understand the, the significance of the command. <clears throat> but let's read it in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you look at different lists of the, the Ten Commandments, um, Protestants have this first one, don't worship, serve or uh, worship only God. And then the second one will be do not create carved images or do not worship idols. And they'll split that into two, where Catholics put that into one. And then the 10th the commandment that we have is just one. Uh, Catholics will split that into two. So we have <clears throat> each Protestant and Catholics have 10 commandments, uh, but they're all just a little bit, a little bit different from each other. Uh, wanted to, to point that out in case you're looking at 10 commandments and you're, you're seeing that difference. But this is saying no carved images, no carved idols. Again, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm doing all right. Uh, I can't think of a single time where I ever bowed down to an idol. Uh, and and that's, that's good. Um, but hold on. Uh, let's look at what this is really saying. Uh, as I put for the second one, worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, when Jesus was asked, about the proper place to worship God by a Samaritan woman, Jesus didn't answer her question because it was the wrong question. There was a bigger issue to address. God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We can't worship God, who is spirit, by physical representations. So not only is this command saying, don't worship idols, it's saying, don't, God is saying, don't worship me, through anything carved, through anything you can make, through any material thing that you can produce. Worship me in spirit. There's a reason for that. Uh, God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So we can't worship God, who is spirit, by physical representation. Doing so insults God. When God is worshipped through a, a man-made object, or even when God is worshipped through what he's created. It's an insult to him to worship him through that item. Besides God, what comes to mind when I ask about raw power? If I were to ask you to come up with an image in your mind of raw power, what would you think of? Perhaps you might think of a muscle car and hearing that, hearing that engine roar. Maybe you are a nature lover, and you think of the sun. A scientist might say splitting an atom is a great source of power. None of those things come close to the power that resides in God. Carving a wood or shaping stone or pouring molten metal into a form and then stating God is like the thing I created places limits in our mind as to who God actually is. God is powerful and we say, oh, well, a bull is powerful. I went to a rodeo when I was five years old in Utah, and I remember the bull riding 
And that bull turned and stared right at me and said, you're going to get it, boy. That's how I remember. That's how I remember how it took place. What power. I'll watch that on TV. I, I like to watch bull riding on TV because I, I like to watch people that I'm smarter than. And, uh, and if you're getting on a bull and see if you can do it for eight seconds, I'm telling you, that wasn't, that was, there were no geniuses that came up with that game, right? Um, just some bored cowboys, I think. Uh, but you see that bull and when it's, they show it in slow motion and the muscles ripple and, uh, and it's impressive. Well, for thousands of years, people thought of what's a strong thing. God is powerful. This bull is powerful. God is like a bull. We'll create this, this uh, uh, wood piece, and now we'll worship the mighty power of God as we look at this powerful bull. It insults God when we worship him through any item. Because God is spirit, and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. God is powerful, but he's not powerful like anything. Does that make sense? His power is incomprehensible. So don't worship God through anything, just worship God. Occasionally, uh, Mary and I would get a letter from some organization to host a get-together where invited guests could come marvel at a religious relic and then be blessed by God because of it. That violates this command. Placing hope in a religious figurine violates this command. Digging a hole in your yard and placing a representation of a religious person in the hole to protect your property is a violation of this command. Maybe you are thinking, hey, I don't do any of that stuff. I must be doing all right. The point of this, is, of this command is so that we worship God in truth. If I worship a God of my own making, that according to how, other than how God has revealed himself to be, what have I done? I have created a God of my own making. What is that? That's an idol. When I don't worship God how he actually is, but I worship him how I desire him to be, or even honestly just mistaken about who God is, then I have set up an, an image in my own mind that's not the God of the universe. It's a God of my own making. I violate, I violate this command when I do that. And here's the problem. I have been wrong about God because I can't fathom perfectly who God is. He is so different than anything else, and I fail to understand him. And a good thing, too, because if I could completely under, understand God, how amazing would God be? Not amazing at all. And so this is difficult because I worship a God I, fully don't, I don't fully understand and therefore make mistakes in my thinking about God and that's making an, uh, an image of God, not who God actually is. So I fail in keeping this command. So far, I don't know about you, but I'm 0 for 2. The third command is this. Honor God's name. Honor God's name. In Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, 
You shall not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It is my opinion that this command is probably the one that's most misunderstood. And it limits people's thinking. Most people think that this is a prohibition against saying GD. And uh, hey, I don't say that. Uh, even the TV, with all the gross, horrible things they'll put on, will, uh, will, will cut somebody saying uh, GD, right? And we think, okay, that's taking the Lord God's name. It's, it's using God's name as a swear word. And that is only the tip of the iceberg for this. Here is what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Any use of God's name that brings dishonor on him or his character. Using God's name irrelevant or irreverently is to take the Lord's name in vain. A lack of respect for God's name. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say about their parents or maybe even about their spouse, um, and they kind of take this flippant attitude with God as well. Now let me talk to the man upstairs and I'll get back to you. That, that's a really irreverent use of, of God's name. Uh, you know, I, uh, working with, with teens, sometimes they, they come up and, uh, and I have to correct them. Like I have an informal, fun relationship with them, but they don't get to call me dude. Right? You don't get to call your parents dude. All right, that's just, that's not respectful. And, and yet we have that attitude about God's name as well. It's a lack of respect. But let me go further on, on how God's name is, is used in vain. In Leviticus 19.12, it says, You shall not swear by, name, by my name falsely, and so profane the name of, your, of the name of your God, I am the Lord. Who does this mean? It means failing to perform an oath or vow taken in his name. When you say, I swear to God I'll do this, or I swear to God I didn't do this, that's taking the Lord's name in vain when you fail in that. If you say, I will do this, I promise to hand to God, I will do this, and then you don't do it, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Using God's name to legitimize an oath that is never intended to be kept is taking the Lord's name in vain. There are a lot of people who uh, uh, who will say something and they will swear to God that's true, as if adding that makes it more believable what they're saying. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And there's a lot of people who, who say it knowing that they are lying when they are doing it. That's dangerous. That's dangerous to do. Attributing a wrong act to God is to take the Lord's name in vain. In Psalm 139.20, the psalmist writes about his enemies. It says, They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. What it is is that this is a group of people who are saying religious things to accomplish things with evil intent. And there are a lot of people who will speak the Lord's name to try to hide and manipulate by the use of God's name. 
When they do that, they take the Lord's name in vain. Here's the danger for us. What name do we take? They were first called this in Antioch, the church. It's when they were first called what? Christians. Christians. It means little Christ. Now, if I proclaim to be a follower of Christ, but bring dishonor to Christ, I have taken the Lord's name in vain. Just by taking the name Christian. Now, perhaps some of you don't know, my full name is not Christopher. My full name is Christian. My mom doomed me (laughs) with that name. But then, we have a lot of people who take the, the name Christian that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. They figure, well, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Jewish, I'm what? Christian. When you take that name, you dishonor Christ's name when you do not live up to his standard. Hmm. It is enough to make you want to take that Jesus fish bumper sticker off your car, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm not kidding with this. I'm not putting a Jesus bumper sticker on my car because I will take the Lord's name in vain when, when, by how I drive and how I react to other drivers. Let me be careful about this. Um, I'm only kind of joking about that. My point is, there are so many things more offensive to God than swear words. There are a great many religious people that use the name of Christ for selfish reasons. Doing so is a violation of the third commandment. How you doing so far? Me too. The fourth Trust God enough to rest. Trust God enough to rest. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's be really clear about this. Sabbath starts when? Friday night at sundown, and it ends when? Saturday night at sundown. You will never find the term Christian Sabbath in the Bible. It doesn't exist. Of the Ten Commandments, the only commandment not mentioned and supported in the New Testament is the one to keep the Sabbath. Uh, That's the only one not, like you say, oh, New Testament's okay with murder? No. No, I didn't say that. Uh, but, But all the nine of them are reiterated in the New Testament in some way, uh, except for except for the Sabbath, uh, the the Pharisees in Jesus' day demanded that the Sabbath be kept, and accused Jesus of working during the Sabbath. Did Jesus ever violate the Sabbath? No. Did Jesus violate the Pharisees' understanding of the Sabbath? At least once a week, right? At least once a week. They misunderstood the purpose of the Sabbath. 
Work is a God-ordained activity. So is rest. A field that is always worked, never rested, yields less fruit. A field needs to be left alone and allowed to go uh, to hay every so often. You just leave it alone and let it grow. Uh, People need rest. We need to take time to honor and worship God. It's necessary to do that, to take a moment and, and do that, to take not just a moment, but to take a day and set it apart for rest and for enjoyment of our Savior, of the God who created all things. Rest means trust. I can stop my activity, acknowledge God, and my world won't crumble. Do you ever have trouble sleeping because your mind's on something? Would you describe that as rest? No. I can't wait for that night to get over so I can can get up and get out of bed. That's not rest. Rest means, God, I'm putting this aside, I'm trusting you, and I'm going to sleep well because of it. We need rest. Do I trust God enough to rest? I marvel at the wellness industry. People are taking so many vitamins and supplements for health reasons. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I know the two most important actions for good health are the two actions that most people ignore. And what are those? Well, they'll spend hundreds of dollars every year, but won't drink enough water or get enough sleep. Those are the two most important things we can do for our health. The body and mind need rest. God rested after six days of creation. In doing so, he established our weekly calendar. Worrying is not resting. Also remember that the Sabbath rest is a gift. Rest is a gift. Jesus said the following about rest and dependence on God. Said, in Matthew 11, verses 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The psalmist wrote the following about rest. In Psalm 4, it says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell safely. Are you finding your rest in the Lord. Are you trusting the Lord enough to rest? The first four commandments are about the nation's relationship with the Lord. The last six commands are about the nation's relationship with each other. Uh, the verse that we read together this morning, when Jesus was asked, what are the most, what's the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Those were the first four commands that we went over and then the last six love your neighbor as yourself those are the two great commands jesus took the ten commands and he said we can split it in two the first two is how to love god and the last six are how to love each other Uh, and so that's what we just finished is how do we love god in the fifth commandment respect your parents Exodus 
20.12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. How much better would society be if parents were honored? There were times when I decided not to do something growing up, uh, not to do something foolish, because I knew it would be an embarrassment for my parents that if I had gotten caught. And that thought kept me from that behavior. Now, it didn't always stop me, all right? But there were times where I thought, this would really, really embarrass my parents if I got caught doing this. And it saved me from trouble. Uh, if It used to be that if a child got in trouble in school, what would happen when they would get home? Extra trouble, right? Nowadays, a parent is more likely to accuse the teacher of wrongdoing uh, for holding a student accountable for bad behavior. That usually happens now. God gives encouragement for honoring parents. The encouragement is a good, long life. The way we honor our parents will look different depending on our circumstances. Young children honor their parents by obeying them. People that have elderly parents honor them by taking care of their needs and helping them with various tasks. People that had horrible parents can honor them by not speaking poorly about them in public or trying to embarrass them. Honoring your parents, <coughs> excuse me, honoring your parents aids in living longer. I saw this play out at a pool one time. A young child had on a swim vest that allowed the three-year-old to experience freedom in the pool and the parent to not have anxiety. A good investment. The child got out of the pool to eat lunch, not by choice, but by physical manipulation. It was time to eat, and the child got dragged out of the pool. The... Uh, uh, the swim vest was removed while lunch was being eaten. So you can already see where this is going, right? I watched that little girl wait for an opportunity to escape from her mom because she was looking to do so. The mom, uh, the mom caught her trying to sneak away a few times, but one time the girl succeeded in escaping and she ran as fast as she could toward the pool. The mom chased and, uh, uh, and tried to, uh, and yelled for her daughter to stop. And she yelled at the three-year-old, you're not wearing your swim vest. To me, that was a funny thing to yell at a three-year-old. Knowing that she was being chased, she ran faster, grinning from ear to ear. And the girl jumped into the pool and started to sink. Now let me pause for a moment and address a question some of you might have. The question is, if you saw all of this happening, why didn't you stop the little girl before she got to the pool? And my answer is, she wasn't my kid. My kids were eating lunch at the table like they were told to. I did my job. Right? No, I, I was on the other side of the pool. There was no way for me to get there in time. But, uh, but I, I like the answer of, my kid was doing the right thing. That wasn't my kid. You know what the greatest sound in the world is? A kid yelling, that's not yours. Oh, that's wonderful. You'll hear all the parents will stop, right? And, and they'll all go, <sighs> except for one set of parents who take off running. Right? And that's a, a wonderful sound. Uh, the little girl did not die, but her mom did get wet. Right? 
Honoring parents saves lives. Honoring parents saves lives. Sixth commandment. Do not murder. Well, here we go, Pastor. We finally got to one that I have done well with. I haven't killed anybody yet. Uh, well, good job. Good job not killing somebody. That's a uh, way to go. All right. But hold on for a second. Because... Jesus had a little something to say about this. Uh, in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, it says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Friends, I violate this command on my way to church because some people have the audacity to borrow my road when I'm trying to get someplace. I show great contempt for dangerous drivers who selfishly drive putting everyone at risk. I absolutely have called them a fool and in that moment, for just a moment, think about them dying in some horrible car accident. And I might say something nice like, well, I hope it's a single car accident, but really what I'm saying is they don't deserve life. Now, some of you are looking at me like I'm a horrible person, but I know that I'm not the only one. That is the start of murder. When you say in your mind, this person is not worthy of life, that is the start of murder. I make a judgment that they're not worthy of life. Do you want to know how petty I am? Oh, we're, 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 you're going to be able to hold this over my head. I'm a petty person. One time, I parked next to an oversized pickup truck that had the uh, side mirror stick way out and, and take up all of the room. Uh, and, uh, and I opened my, my door, uh, and I had a hold of it. And as I opened it, I squished my finger between my door and the side mirror of the oversized truck that was sprawling out way past its uh, the parking lines. And my finger started to throb, and I was upset. And I looked through the window, and I saw inside the cab of the truck an open pack of, of cough drops. And I said out loud, deserve it. What I mean by that is I was celebrating the fact that somebody had a sore throat because I hurt my finger. How well am I doing? <laughs> Think Paul wrote in Romans when thinking about this. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. And after I said out loud, good, deserve it. My next thought was, oh, wretched man that I am. The seventh commandment, and I was really nervous about finding a picture for this one. Uh, do not commit adultery. I was afraid to even search. Jesus also addressed this mindset for people who are saying, well, I haven't violated that one. I'm doing well. Uh, Jesus wrote this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sexuality is thrown in our face all the time, isn't it? 
We can't watch TV, can't walk through a mall, can't drive on the interstate without a billboard throwing sex in our face. But if all of the lustful billboards, if all the sexually explicit commercials were done away with, if all the malls took down their inappropriate ads and posters, I would still violate the standard. No matter where I go, I am always there, and I am my biggest problem. A husband who is physically faithful to his wife, but lust for another in his heart, has violated this commandment. The eighth commandment, do not steal. What this is saying is respect other people's property. Respect other people's property. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is more technical than simply refrain from lying. Uh, this is talking very specifically about false testimony that, uh, that could really, really harm somebody. And you don't need to be in a judicial system to, to give false testimony to harm somebody's reputation. Uh, people can lie about their neighbors. They can lie about, about friends. They can lie to, to damage somebody's reputation and, and then affect a situation. Uh, but this command concerns false testimony against someone that would cause them unjustified injury. Unjustified injury. If there were no laws about perjury, how just could our judicial system be? It wouldn't be just at all, right? The frustration we feel as a, as a society comes from the reality <coughs> that people lie in court and get away with it. Keeping this law helps maintain stability in a society protecting the individual's reputations. And then the last command, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Do not covet your neighbor's stuff. In Exodus 20, 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Covet is more than seeing something your neighbor has and wishing you had it too. That's not what coveting is. You see your neighbor pulls up with, with a new vehicle and you're, oh, that's a nice, that's a, nice, that's a vehicle that I've been, I've been looking for. You know, that's the type of car I'd like to have. That's not what coveting is. Uh, coveting is intense. It lingers. It becomes upset at the neighbor. It becomes jealousy and jealousy takes hold. The mutterings begin and you say things like, they don't deserve that. Why do they have that? I deserve it more. Well, having looked deeper at each commandment, how did you do? If your righteousness was based on your ability to keep each commandment, how righteous are you? I graded out as decidedly unrighteous. I guess the law did its job because I need the righteousness of Christ to obtain eternal life. I'm also glad that my sanctification or my spiritual growth is not by my striving in keeping the law, but instead it's dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Keeping the law is done in the flesh. Growth in Christ occurs by walking in the Spirit. There is a wrong thought that Christians have sometimes, and that wrong thought is, I grow spiritually by keeping the law. Or, I gauge my spirituality by my adherence to the law. The, the law is the wrong tool 
for spiritual growth. Have you ever tried to cook an egg in a toaster? Imagine the frustrations. It'll never work. Now, there's nothing wrong with the toaster, correct? But the toaster is the wrong tool for cooking eggs. Just like using the law as a means of righteous living. The law has its purpose. It shows us the the righteousness of God. And it shows us our own unrighteousness. That's the purpose of the law. And when you set yourself up to say, yes, I am saved by grace through faith, but my growth will be adherence to the law, you will say the same thing Paul said. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? The law is not to be used as a a tool to improve your righteousness. And when you try to use it that way, you will only grow frustrated. Well, these Ten Commandments were given, and we're not going to go into the others. I will say that as you look at chapters 21 and and a few chapters on into it, uh, here's what you have is is those, those ten, right? The Ten Commandments. And then the rest of these of the law with all the things that are said, think of it as like case law. How do these ten commandments play out in society? Um, you know, one of the things you'll come across is my ox gets out and gores a man and kills him. How do I deal with that? Well, it gives you the answers for that. Uh, and so here's what you do. Here's how you handle that. Uh, two men get in a fight, and they knock into a pregnant lady, and she loses the baby. What do you do with that? It says that in those in those other uh, the the case law tells you how do you handle these these situations. It explains how do these ten play out in in real life, uh, and uh, so you can look at that this week and 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 find out. But when the Israelites were told about these these ten that they agreed to in principle before. They heard what the ten were and the rest of the law uh, that uh, that was written after it. Um, once they heard it, they did not change their minds. They did not say, God, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. God, can you lessen the standards? Because there's no way that, that we're, we're keeping this as individuals or as a nation. But in Exodus 24.3, after the, the covenant was given, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In the next couple weeks, we will find out if they lived up to their declaration. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the law because it does give us your righteousness, your righteous standard. It gives an idea to us of, of who you are and what you value. Uh, Father, it tells us who we are as well, uh, that uh, we are people that cannot live up to your righteous standing. The, the standard you have set is beyond our ability uh, to, uh, to maintain. And that your word has made it clear that if, if a person violates one part of the law, there's no, there's no uh, uh, victory in that. To violate one part is to violate the whole thing. Uh, and so, Father, we need a Savior and you provided one through Jesus Christ. Father, help us to depend on the Spirit and to live according to the law of love, the law of Christ, uh, and that we would uh, uh, 
we would allow your spirit to, to work within us, knowing that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. And that is what we desire for our life. That is what you desire for our life. And it's not by our ability uh, uh, to do that, but instead it's, it's because of the Holy Spirit uh, and a life yielded to him. We thank you that you made a way of salvation for us by grace through faith and that we live out that salvation in the same way, by grace through faith. In Jesus, amen.